This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Kenny and Heilprin. I'm Ben Kenny. He is Zach Heilprin. 608 321 1670 is how you get a hold of the show. Zach, good evening to you. Good evening, Ben. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm I doing you all right. Are. You had a great day. I had a lot of fun today. I was watching the Masters. I'm a big golf fan, and we were talking earlier how you are more skeptical of the people like me who can sit and just watch on a Thursday. Yeah, it's extremely boring. Uh, I am so glad we're here to talk Badgers for the next hour as opposed to talking about Tiger, which a great, awesome story that he's back. One under, fantastic, great Badgers. We are here to talk Badgers. I And opening day as well. Awesome. Baseball, fantastic. Badgers. Badgers. Spring practice is is up and going. Since we've last spoken, actually, a lot has happened. And that's where we're going to start. Because Graham Mertz spoke to you guys, what, last week? Late last week? On Monday, actually. It's It's, it's been a long week for you. The days fly by and the schedule of this show really throws me off. Because yeah. I see all this stuff and I read it and I think about it. And then I wait till Thursday to talk about it. It's tough. So it's a blur. But more importantly, first, last weekend, speaking of Tiger being back, another very important sports figure is no longer. Coach K goes down in the final four in a game that I can only say was enjoyable to watch on my part. I was rooting against them. I'm very outwardly rooting against Coach K. The best part about it was going down the stretch of that game. Coach K had used all of their second half timeouts to complain and bitch to the refs about foul calls. And then in the last minute of the game, when, you know, they've really needed one because they were down a possession or four points, they needed a play drawn up. They had no timeouts because Coach K used them to complain to the refs. Seven years after he used his influence with the officials in a national championship game, and I believe it was 15 to 6 in terms of fouls, it was a lot of fouls on Wisconsin in the second half of that 2015 national championship game. He did not have that same success with Bo Borowski, of all people, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the national semifinal against North Carolina. North Carolina finished. And it was awesome. And it, the scene on Twitter afterwards, like you're either hate Duke or you love Duke. I think there's very few people in between. And I think there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this that are not fans of Coach K and Duke. And I think it's a great thing, great thing that he went out the way he did because I don't think there's any way you can ever forget that. Like all the things that he did in his career, you're never going to forget that he lost to his arch rival in the national semifinal in a game that they led. Oh, Duke is never going to be able to come back from this. No. Uh, against North Carolina? No. After they had ended his career at home? And it's why I believe he probably... You could make the argument he may not be done. <laughs> like, I, he, he can't go out that way type of stuff. Well, he also has the ego to have a press conference before the year where he goes... He walks into every time we touch doing the weird hand things. And then everywhere he goes along the line, he needs a big reception on his retirement tour. North Carolina doesn't give him a big one, and he makes a big fuss about it. And then he obviously goes through the tournament, loses. He would have the ego to come back and do it all again and act as if, you know what? That big spotlight that really affected my team that I said all year, I cannot believe how my players have dealt with this big spotlight on them. I wonder where that spotlight came from, Coach Guy. And I'm sure he would also make another one going to next year. So Nike said they asked for like your favorite final four moment or your favorite coach K moment. <laughs> and I felt like it was really, really easy. I mean, they, Nike set themselves up. Like you can't spell championship without K Ugh. the hell you can't. I mean, that's exactly how you spell it. Uh, they had, they had it right there. 
can't spell Duke without K. I mean, that <laughs> it was right there. It was right there for him. But like favorite uh, moments, the 2022 Final Four was a favorite moment by far, by far. And so, you mentioned Bo Borowski. Maybe that was his parting gift to the Wisconsin program. After all, he's put all of us through, especially in 2020. That's kind of how I looked at it. But I had a lot of fun. Did you have you smiled as that was going to the end? The last few minutes, yeah. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I enjoyed the more. I actually enjoyed the after part more so than the game itself. Like just, it's over. Like that's it. <laughs> you never have to see it again. It's kind of like the day that PJ Fleck walks away from coaching. Yeah, Bot- or, PJ Botox or Minnesota. We sh- I can't believe we haven't talked about that. Um, <laughs> but like a bungee cord. Come on now. Who's, who's going to believe that? You know what? Either way, either way, uh, it's like when he walks away from Minnesota, you never have to hear him again. You never have to hear that trash and that BS that comes out of his mouth about row the boat and all that BS. It's like just the best thing ever. I kind it's of over. want John Shire to win the next, not the next 10, but I want him to win 10 natties in the next 20 years so that Coach K is so deep under the shadow of everything now that no one even talks about him anymore. Yeah, the thing is, John Shire is Duke. Yeah, he's going to be as hateable. Yeah. Not as know. hateable. He's not going to be as hateable. I don't think he'll be as hateable. He's going to be Duke, though. He's going to be Duke. Yeah, yeah. To get all the hard-hitting stuff out of the way early, we could talk about P.J. Fleck. Oh, my God. So I saw a side-by-side picture. This was not confirmed by any of the big J's in the world, but 2021 P.J. Fleck, the little more wrinkles than 2022 P.J. Fleck. Doesn't look like the same guy. It looks like he gained about 20 pounds and uh, ironed out his eyes. And he said that he or ironed out the wrinkles like in his eyes. He heard it doing a bungee cord in 2019. That makes no Where, sense. Where's the where's the injury? Like, did we go back to 2018 and look at 2018 compared to 2019 or 2019 compared to 2020? Like he looked. I don't I don't know, man. I, I think that's a guy that is dealing with a little bit of midlife crisis at his age where the wrinkles are starting to come in. And I, I'm certainly aware of those wrinkles. And I have accepted my baldness a long time ago he just accepted it here in those last few years like he's i feel like he's starting to be like i'm getting old and i don't like it now tom brady i think clearly has gotten some work done over the years you mean a a 20 year old or a 22 year old tom brady isn't supposed to be uh, uglier than a 45 year old tom brady which is ridiculous but i think if someone asked him outright clearly i think he would admit that he did it pj fleck never will no I don't buy, I'm sorry, and it, I don't buy a bungee cord accident. Neither do I. I haven't really thought that deep into it. I'm really just stuck on the side-by-side picture. But when the season comes, at Big Ten Media Days, can you do the show a favor and ask him about it? I think I say we go down there and do a show together, and we'll we'll, we'll try and get him on the show and, <laughs> and, and ask him about it. Or, or maybe an eyewitness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> See if anyone witnessed the accident that happened. All right. Badgers. Badgers. So you guys talked to Graham Mertz on Monday. And Graham Mertz is very good on the podium. He always says the right things. I feel like he's done that since he's come to the school. One of the questions he was asked by Jesse Temple, if I'm not mistaken, was about Wisconsin's obvious pursuit of Caleb Williams. This is what Graham Mertz said. It's a, it's a coach's job to find the best player. I mean, what, what am I going to say? Oh, no, I, I deserve this. I, I don't deserve anything. I mean, I, I got to prove it every day, prove it's my job. And uh, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I've always done. So there are a lot of layers to this, but I buy that he looked at it the way that, I mean, many would in his position where, you know, he's trying to get a good player. It's not like I deserve this starting job. 
I also need to go win it. Even if Caleb Williams comes in, I would be here to win the job. Now, would he transfer out? That's another discussion. But he says the right things. Do I completely buy every single word down to the letter that that's what he thinks? No. But at the same time, he's good on the podium. That's all you need. It's kind of like, to me, that thing where you can't, and (laughs) golf analogy, you can't win a tournament on Thursday, but you could definitely lose it. I don't think Graham Mertz could go convince us everything that he is going to be better in all these situations during a press conference like that. But I think there were words he could have said that would have given us doubt. Well, it would have given people a reason to dislike him. And I think straight out coming out of this, based on I, I posted the, the quote on my Twitter account and almost every response outside of a few dinks were how ridiculously spot on this response was and and the best way to respond to this was the way that he responded to it because it's the only way you can respond to it if you want it to be viewed the way that he wants to be viewed and he said the right things i think people would love love if he transferred how good he is on the podium Hmm. to consistently being as uh good on the field i think like if he spoke if he played as well as he spoke be cooking with grease. Yeah, Wisconsin would be a really good football team. Gas. Kicking with gas. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm i impressed by it, but, I mean, hmm, it's tough because I want to believe, because Paul Chris said it too. All of the air, he said during his press conference with you guys first that these are the things Graham Mertz has to get better at, and we haven't heard Paul Chris go that much in depth. We normally don't, but Paul Chris has said where he has to get better. Graham Mertz knows how he has to get better. He seems to be extremely self-aware with... Obviously, the turnovers can't happen, but I heard him talk about his feet and about some of the little things that he can improve upon. I really want to believe that he's taking that next step, but there's no way to know. But I do think, and you're going to hate the golf analogy, but I mean, he didn't lose the, not the fandom and the support, but he didn't lose that round, say, during this press conference, but it definitely wasn't winnable. Wasn't winnable? Like, no matter what he says. He's not going to win over everybody with a quote. That's a good way to put it, right? Like he's not going to win over everybody based on what he says. He has to go out and prove it because people have heard him talk like this before about the little things and changing these little things and chain and going about things differently and the things that he needs to be better at. Um, and I think he actually believes all that. Like, I don't think he's just saying it. You know what I mean? Like he's actually, he actually believes that he needs to get better in these certain things. And in spring ball, we've only seen five practices, but he has yet to throw an interception in 11 on 11 drills or in seven or on seven on seven drills. So like that's been a focus for him and it's happened. He also lost. He's down 15 pounds from where he was at the end of last year. He wants to be right around 220 because he wants to be able to be able to um, move better in the pocket. He has run and looks faster than he did previously. And he's throwing the ball. Well, has it resulted in all these big plays? No. Uh, there have been the sh- a share of big plays, but there have been a lot of uh, little signs that there have been improvements. But again, it's it's five practices in spring. It doesn't matter what you do in spring. It literally, I mean, it, we're going to be talking about how important all things we're seeing in spring are in like five minutes. But like hmm. it, it for him, it doesn't matter. Like he can make all the throws he needs to make in spring. He has to carry it over in, uh, into fall camp and into the season for anybody to start believing that that is who he is. So I ask you this, how much pressure on a scale of one to 10 do you think is on him? And I'm going to differentiate here fan pressure, which I think we can agree is at a 10 Yeah, fan. It's 
all the way up. Because, I mean, we heard Chase Wolf chants during the Michigan game last year, which were stupid. And it's very clear that when Wolf did get in that game, it didn't go very well. But how much pressure? Take away the fan pressure, which is obviously 10, and you could factor it in. But on-field pressure, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think he's under? Before we get to that, there were people on Twitter last year, national writers saying that Paul Chris was committing uh, quarterback malpractice by keeping Graham in there and not putting Chase Wolf in. No, there weren't. Everyone's favorite Pat Forty was saying, oh, God. said that. And then Chase came in. It was very clear. And that was a Michigan game where Michigan's defense was manhandling Wisconsin's offense up front. Yep. And it was almost impossible. They couldn't, Wisconsin couldn't run the ball. Grammert's had that crazy good drive at near right the end of the right half before the half to two, two throws of Chimray, which were, I think probably his two best throws he's made in college. And then he comes in first drive of the second half, Daxton Hill hits him and then he's out. Yeah. And I, he didn't really have a chance that game to do that. Well, cause I mean, everything around him didn't hold up. Right. I mean, so in I terms can't of, believe someone would tweet that in, in, in terms of pressure, it's out of 10, as you said, for fans in terms of what it means for him, for them to be an offense. I think it starts, I think there is more pressure on the offensive line to be good, to great, to dominant, for him to be able to be the quarterback that he needs to be. And that's always been the case at Wisconsin. You need to have the offensive line first because that's where it starts. Graham, as as you just mentioned, the Michigan game, nothing else around it was working because the offensive line was getting worked. Without the offensive line being great to dominant, Graham is never going to be the quarterback that we all want him to be. He's not. And so I think there's more pressure on the offensive line, Bob Bostad included, of being great. And then, it's, and then it's Graham. Because if the line blocks it up, then it's on him to make some throws that, that are open. These, there are going to be guys open. I have no doubt about that. I know there are people that, oh, he's going to throw to. He's going to have guys to throw to. I really like the top five wide receivers. They've got Braylon Allen. They're going to have Chesma Lucy at some point. They've got, they've got weapons enough to do it. The offensive line has to hold up and do, uh, do their job both in the run game and the pass game for Graham to be able to reach the expectations that fans have for. I wish I didn't completely agree with what you just said because I wanted to get into the fact that I I'm with you 100%. And I would even throw Paul Christ and Bobby Engram in there because Graham Mertz in his three years of college, it's going to be three different off or not three different offensive coordinators, but three different systems going into the year, quarterback coaches and Joe Rudolph was calling plays in 2020. Paul Chris was last year. And now Bobby Ingram reportedly will this coming year. I think it's on Bob Bostad, the offensive line, and Bobby Ingram, everybody that sets up the offense around him. And I'm going to throw another golf reference out there. And this is the one I would, I said I would use and I'll do it quick. But Rory McIlroy in the last seven years in majors has been horrible in the first round, especially the masters. He can't get over the hump and get that win to give him the career grand slam. However, Tiger's presence there this weekend, crazy media storm. It's given him, it's taken pressure off of Rory. It's allowed him to free up a little bit. I think the presence of Braylon Allen could free Graham Mertz up in that way, but I think it is Bostad's job, Ingram's job, everyone's job to do that. I don't think when you go down the line, I don't think he has the most pressure of the entire offensive unit for it to do well. I'm with you. Yeah, no, it's the it's it's on the offensive line to be the unit that everyone wants them to be and the, and the talent that they have, at least on paper, to be that group. And we've seen flashes. Uh, we've seen flashes of it. I, I really think that with Jack Nelson at left tackle and Tyler Beach at left guard and Joe Tipman at center and Michael Furtney at right guard, then likely, in my opinion, Tanner Bordellini at right tackle, I think that group has a chance to to, to move some bodies and to be a good 
to very good offensive line and better than we've seen these last two years. And at least it's the left side that we're more confident in with Jack Nelson at left tackle and then Beach, and then you could throw Tittman in there. Last year, I would say it was the right side that performed better with Nelson and Bruss compared to... Now, Seltzner was really good, but Beach struggled at times. I, I think their definite strength being on the left side can only help. The, the last year was was what it was. Uh, Logan Bruss is is not a right tackle. I mean, I, excuse me. Logan Bruss probably should have been inside. Right. And Jack Nelson probably should have been outside. And I think that would have been better for him. Logan Bruss was really never, never healthy, yeah. uh, dinged up. So that's also important here is keeping guys healthy and get, keeping them on the field. But there's a lot of young talent in that group. And I think the offense line in general, good to great, makes this offense so much different and makes Graham Mertz's job so much easier. A lot easier. And really, at that point, all he really has to do is not turn the ball over. Well, look what they did with the, when they ran the ball last year. And again, I know they weren't playing great defenses. Oh, in I that, have the numbers. In that eight-game stretch, it's much different. From the Illinois game on, what he was able to do with the run game, it's it's just night and day. 2021 Graham Mertz in wins. He was 67-ish percent completion, 1247 yards, eight touchdowns, four picks. In losses, 52% completion, 700 yards, two touchdowns, seven picks. Now, the rushing differences in those games, that was the startling part. Nearly 2,400 yards Wisconsin had in wins, 4.4 yards a carry. In losses, 2.48 yards a carry, only 300 yards. And obviously, the defenses they played in Michigan, Notre Dame, and even Penn State, and then Minnesota at the end, those are great def- or better defenses across the board, secondary and rush defense. But it was also clear that it all when they ran the ball and when Braylon Allen was going, it freed him up. It was easier for him. And that's why I think now you could say if the offensive line isn't amazing, then Braylon Allen won't have success. I do also think the full year of Allen there is going to free up Mertz no matter what. Because last year, they start the first couple games. Malusi was good. He also wasn't 100%. And he wasn't dominant. Then they played some easier defenses. But even you look at the Purdue game. Nebraska had a good defense last year. Braylon Allen playing really well freed Mertz up, and he played a lot better as a result. He didn't even turn he didn't turn the ball over nearly as much, and that's the biggest difference. Nebraska does not have a good defense when it plays Wisconsin. I don't care. I, they could have the number one defense. It's a very in the valid point. They could show up with the number one defense in the country, and Wisconsin would still put two hundred rushing yards on them with ease. It's a but very valid that, point. It was a good unit. The, they were not good against Wisconsin. It's true. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Graham, if Graham doesn't turn the ball over, it's that, that that is paramount. The first and foremost, that's that's at the top of the list. And I think that's why Paul Chris actually mentioned it. And it wasn't just Graham. Chase obviously turned the ball over as well. But in terms of the interceptions and the fumbles and the, the handoff issues, like all those things, take those out of the equation because you're making those. I, I think in most in, in most part with these instances with Graham it was him making mistakes as opposed to other teams making plays yes and uh, especially the interceptions take that out put that over here and if you don't have those things look different and it starts with it starts with that starts with turnovers I'm with you so is there a number from one to ten on the field for their success and for the success of the whole team to even with the offensive side is there a number you would give it from one to ten in pressure in terms of pressure uh, I would say it's a, a seven and a half. I, I think the offensive line is ahead of that, but I think Graham's up there because as soon as the offensive line, if the offensive line is where it's at, then the pressure does 
filter down to him. Yeah, I was going to go seven. I would probably give the offensive line at least a nine after it being one of the reasons the offense struggled the last couple of years. I would give the trio, I guess you could put Bostad with the offensive line and group that. I would also put Paul Chris and Bobby Engram as the coaches, especially Bobby Engram, who's supposed to be the guy to come in and get this offense back to a really successful point. I would probably put him at eight or eight and a half, right? Because they brought him in for a reason. Now, if we just go into next year and everything's the same and it's the same thing we saw against Minnesota, then I would also look to him and say, okay, then what have we done all offseason? This was supposed to be the difference. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point of making these changes if you're not going to make changes? Or guys, and you could look across the offense too, guys that had not previously coached those positions in some cases. What's, uh, what's the point of moving all of them to these places if it's not going to work? Your offense currently has one coach in the spot that it coached last year. You made changes. Now, Joe Ruoff leaving obviously opens that up, and you have a lot of things that, that go into that. But Alice Witt is the only guy that's in the same spot he was last year. You make changes, not just for the sake of changes. You make changes because you think you can be better, and Paul Christ knows that they need to be better, especially offensively. So on the hierarchy of who has more pressure entering the year, I would maybe put Graham Mertz fourth overall behind a bunch of other people, maybe third if you separate Christ and Ingram, or maybe go coaching staff all together, offensive line, coaching staff, and then Mertz. I'm not going to put – I'm not putting the coaching staff above Graham. He's the one with the ball in his hands. Um, I think that there are – there were times last year where there were plays to be made and, and he didn't make them. Yeah. So I, you can only do so much if you're a coach, right? But the offensive line with Bob Bostad are higher than Graham. But it's then Graham and then right you know, right below them, obviously, is, is where Paul, Christ, and, and uh, Bobby Ingram and the rest of the coaching staff sits. Yeah, which I guess the whole point of all of this is because – that is drastically different from how all of the fans will view week one. When they get on the field week one, it is Graham Mertz is ratcheted up to 10. Everything else is kind of in the shadow of him, which I think not that it will be unfair to him because there obviously is pressure on him, but there is so much more at play here than just how he performs. Yeah, but again, it's going to be what? It's Southern, all, it's Southern Illinois. That's true. That's, so it's, this is not Penn State week one, right? Like you don't, you don't hit the the brick wall until you until uh, September 24th. That's true. So the highs are the highs in those games. Then they go play Ohio State, who second best team in the country going into the year, maybe the best. And then maybe after that game is when we come down to the the earth, the level playing field. We'll, we'll the see. two extremes will even out. We'll All see. right. We're going to step away, take a quick break. Zach's big spring practice takeaway is coming up next. What has he seen over the last week at spring ball? What position group has stuck out? What takes does he have? That's coming up next on Kenny and Halprin. This is Kenny and Halprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Kenny and Heilprin, 608-321-1670. How much pressure's on Graham Mertz this year? 1 to 10. Take away the fan pressure. Once they get on the field, how much pressure is on him as a quarterback? You can find the show, madcitysportszone.com at all times. There's a podcast. Just search Kenny and Heilprin. And our Twitter, Kenny underscore Heilprin. So, Zach, I'm going to – I trademarked this. It's branded as something of this show, even though it would be impossible to take away unless you go work on another show. But Zach, maybe Zach Heilprin, just to make sure we're specific. Your big spring practice takeaway 
from the week? This isn't just from the week. This is from the first five practices that we've been able to see. We've seen five, we missed the first three. So uh, they've practiced eight times. I was thinking about this on the way over on our podcast, not our podcast, but uh, our football podcast, The Camp. Great podcast. Yes, myself and Jesse Temple were talking about it. And I, I mentioned the outside linebacker group being, I think, the most the, has the potential to be the best of this 3 4 era because they have five guys that I think could potentially start this fall. Like they, they have starting capability. Obviously, they're not going to, and they're not all going to play a, a ton of time, but I think they have five guys there. And then I thought about it more. And looking at what I've seen these first five practices, I think this defense, which was the statistically best defense in the country last year, the best run defense in school history. I think the defense this year has a chance to be as good as that group last year. Wow. And that's saying a ton and based on very little, but what I, it is maybe going a little bit out there. I'll admit that. But my thinking on this is going position group by position group and asking, is it better than last year? The defensive line, losing Matt Henningsen, and losing Bryson Williams, who is a valuable backup behind Keanu Benton, I think they are going to be better this year. Keanu, I think, is going to take his game to another level. We're going to see a lot more from Rodas Johnson. We're going to see a lot more from James Thompson Jr. I think they have the young guys at the spot that have that really showed up so far. Cade McDonald and uh, and Isaac Townsend, the, the transfer from Oregon. Like those guys, along with Gio Piaz, like I think they all have a chance to be. It is going to be a better group than last year, and that you, as you've pointed out a ton of times to me um, in relation to the last time they had this much turnover on defense was from 2017 to 2018. And their defensive line was decimated going into 2018. Isaiah Laudermilk hurt uh, Garrett Rand hurt. Yep. They had Caden Lyles moved over from offense to play and started a bunch of games. The defensive line, that was like a huge, that was one of the huge problems for them in 2018. They couldn't stop the run because the defensive line was, was so beat up. Well, that's the best comp I can think of. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. So I don't, they do not have that issue this year. So that group, I think, is better. The outside linebacker group, I already mentioned, is better. I think, obviously, losing Noah Burks, valuable player. But Nick Herbig and the other four guys that I think have a chance, and we're not even talking about Aaron Witt, who, in his limited time in 2020, showed up big time in the bowl game. So I think that often, that outside linebacker room, as we all expected, is loaded. It's all, quickly, it's almost as if, Stars matter a little bit because you but look not at all those guys are not all uh, CJ gets was a three star. Daryl Peterson was a three star. Nick Herbig obviously was a four star and then he played as a true freshman. But then TJ bowlers came in last year as a four star highly yep. touted recruit. And it's clear why he is. And then Kane Johnson was a four star recruit from Minnesota. Yeah. Now people, Wisconsin people love to say, Oh look, stars don't matter. Cause Jim Leonard was a walk on. And then was Jim Leonard or the Watts weren't five stars and they became the Watts. But when you look at it wholeheartedly in across college football, stars do matter yeah, because no, of course the ratio of uh, blue chip, which is four or five star recruits to like in the first round of the NFL draft, it's like 65, 70%. Like it does matter that the fact they are loaded talent wise, just recruiting. And then you see that now, okay, now the position is going to be disgusting. Yeah. So defensive line, better outside linebacker group, better. Some people are probably going to question me on this, but I think the quarterback group is going to be better. You lose Fayon Hicks, you lose Caesar Williams, you move Dean Ingram over to the other side of the ball. But the three guys that they brought in, and Justin Clark and Jay Shaw and Cedric Dort, along with Alexander Smith and some of the younger guys that they have at the position, I think it's going to be a better group. I do. Um, I think Jay Shaw is a starter. I think he's going to be an all-Big Ten type of player. I think Alexander Smith certainly has that in him as well. 
And you're playing three corners a lot anyways. Uh, it depends. I don't know who's going to be the, the slot guy at this point. They have a bunch of different bodies you can throw in there. Justin Clark, one of them. But I think that, that group is going to be as good, if not better, than the group last year at cornerback. Safety, a little bit of a question mark, right? With Travion Blaylock going down right now, do they have Hunter Wohler, as talented of a guy as they have, John Torchio played a ton of football last year, and he's going to be another guy that you're looking at to take another step. Can they be better at safety? I don't know if they can be better. I think they can be as good as they were uh, at safety last year. Inside linebacker, not a chance in hell they're going to be as good as they were last year. It's right? impossible. It's impossible. What, what Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn did, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I don't even know, we don't even know who the starting group is going to be there right now. They're rotating pairs through there uh, a lot. Now, do they have talent there? Yes. I love Jordan Turner. I think Jordan Turner is one of the next big things on defense. He's not yet the starter. Uh, Jake Cheney or Tate Grass, or Muma, or Spencer Lytle. Spencer Lytle, who could not, because of the depth that outside linebacker moved inside. Like Inside linebacker is the big question mark right now for me on defense and safety depth. Those are the two big questions. But I think they have enough other pieces around them that this is going to be a defense that has a chance. It may not Statistically, it may not be as good as last year. I, I, it may not be. But I think they have a chance to be as good, like talent-wise and production-wise, they can they can be right there. They may not allow, they may not lead the league or lead the country in total yards allowed. They may not lead the country in rushing defense, but they are going to be, I think, close to that level, if not at that level. Well, playing an Ohio State team with Heisman candidate C.J. Stroud, future idea. top five pick, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who outside shot Heisman, but one of the best wide receivers in the country, and then. I would argue the best running back in the conference heading into next year and Travion Henderson. I mean, playing that offense, you are going to give up more yards than you did last year to a Penn state who had talent, but is not that level, but I can see where you're coming from. Cause I bring up the 2018 thing a lot. It's the biggest, it's the best comp I can bring up for year to year. You lose a lot and then you have to reload and it's a defense that in 2017 was really good. And then they took a massive step back in 2018. And then 2019, obviously, they came back to form. But this, when you have a front, even just the front four or the guys up on the line, when the pass rushers are great and the interior defensive linemen are great, the rest of it can kind of sort itself out at times because that's a, I mean, the secondary is going to have an easier job if the outside linebackers are all uber talented, right? For sure. And you're not wrong in the 2017-2018 comparison. Jim Leonard mentioned it during his press conference at the beginning of spring. He mentioned 2018 and all those young guys that had to play in 2018, and it's the reason they went out and got all the guys they did in the secondary because they went through that. They did not want to have to throw all these younger players in the mix again. I'll say this. If they they didn't feel confident with what they had at cornerback, and maybe this, maybe it's because they want some more weapons at wide receiver, but they wouldn't have moved Dean Ingram over if they weren't confident what they had at cornerback to be able to replace. They would not, they would not be taking a guy who played all four, 13 games last year and started a bunch of them, played a ton of football, and was pretty darn good in the slot and moving him over if they didn't feel comfortable moving uh, other guys in there. So ah, they went out and got guys they needed to in the secondary to fill some holes and the rest of that group, the rest of the defense in general, it's going to be right there, man. I like it. I really like it. Now, the safety position is the one that concerns me. You mentioned inside linebacker, and it's clear there are four or five guys that are right now competing to start. I agree with you 100% on Jordan Turner. Now, I haven't seen practices because I'm here working, but from what I've seen in games, Jordan Turner was the one guy that would come in for Sanborn or Chanel 
that and I mean you t- can take away Mascalunas because he was a senior, but the one young guy who came in that I said, oh, that's a starter next year. Yeah. That is going to be the next inside linebacker. And then aside from that, we'll see. But the safety position without Blaylock now because he goes down to practice, we don't know how serious it is. You have Torchio, you have Wohler. The it's not the fact I don't I it's I don't doubt them two being good, but then they are crazy shallow below. They are. The thing about that is they've been using some corners back there because the two guys behind them are walk-ons, right. um, you know, right now. And so one, one's a transfer from uh, Northern Illinois, the other one's, who's a walk-on, and it's a walk-on uh, as well, Owen Arnett, I believe. That's what you have. That's what you have right now at the safety position behind those two guys. And so they've been using Avion Jones, a true freshman back there. You got Austin Brown coming in, one of their top recruits in, in the 2022 class who potentially could help. But if, I mean, if Hunter Wohler's not able to get on the field last year, now obviously the guys in front of him were pretty darn good. So it was a little bit more difficult. But uh, Austin Brown, Avion, Avion Jones, and even Alexander Smith has been used a little bit safety during practice as well. So I think that they recognize that they don't necessarily have the depth back there that they probably would like, and we'll probably continue to work on that through the spring. Um, we, again, as you said, don't know the extent of the injury to Travion Blaylock. You would hope it's not something that's going to keep him out uh, the entire season. But behind those top two, there's, that's obviously a, a big question. So you mentioned one thing with the secondary, and it's the transfer portal. Now, it's obviously become a big story across college athletics, but Wisconsin has always approached it a little different than in Alabama. Or it's like the Kentucky. They bring in a basketball player, one and done. Wisconsin's different. They're a recruit and develop program, but they reshaped their entire secondary with Jay Shaw, Justin Clark, Cedric Dort. I want to talk about that approach that Wisconsin could take that could help. Because you would think bringing in multiple grad transfers wouldn't necessarily be their M.O. Yet, I mean, Paul Chris showed a willingness to do it. So I want to talk about what Wisconsin can do in the transfer portal and how they will approach it. Coming up next on Kenny and Halprin. This is Kenny and Halprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Kenny and Heilprint, 608-321-1670. I was going to pull this article up again uh, that after Graham Mertz met with the media or before, I forget when it was did, there was an article, uh, his conversation with uwbadgers.com, and there was a lot of Latin, a lot of Latin phrases thrown in there. Now, I took Latin in eighth grade I, just to, I don't know, learn more about English. I don't remember a single thing. My problem was I tried to look up what the end of the article said, some phrase, comma, look it up. And I looked it up, and nowhere will tell me what it means. Do you know any Latin? I was not in a bougie high school like you that had Latin as, as an offering. It was not one of the uh, foreign languages that was offered. No, it was like a special class in middle school that we had to take. Certainly didn't have it in middle school. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Mrs. Marston, not a big fan of, of young Ben Kennedy. Uh, no? <laughs> no. Well, me and her got something. No, just kidding. Uh... Big fan of big young, big big fan of of young Ben Kenny, um, but no, I that um, teach his own, teach his own. So you are not able to. I'm not able to decipher translate. decipher what that uh, last uh, thing said. No, here's the article. I want to read it. If if anyone does know, tweet it at me. It says "Id est 
Cuomodo Crisere. And you've put that in Google and you get nothing It literally back. says that and look it up. And I looked that up and all the words separately and I could not discern a meaning. You put it in a translator? No. Did not put it in a translator. Put it in a translator. Well, I didn't put that much effort into it. You've, you've put enough effort into it to bring it up on the show. That's true. All right. Uh, transfer, transfer portal sack. <laughs> so Jay Shaw, Justin Clark, Cedric Dort come in, as well as Keontes Lewis. We talked about him last week. And I do want to throw in everything I said about Keontes Lewis, the same, but for Dean Engram. Like the wide receiver unit, given the youth and given the fact they are, except for Chimray DK, they're all at the same kind of level of experience. I would not be surprised if any of them come and emerge and have a huge role next to Chimray Deke as number one, but the cornerbacks. So Wisconsin rebuilds their secondary after losing their top two guys. And you mentioned, you think it's, it could be a unit that is really good. Also with Alexander Smith and a couple of recruits that are young, still there. It's interesting because Wisconsin is not going. Now there was a wide receiver, Jermaine Burton, who went from Georgia, who just won the national championship to Alabama. And he's going to go to the NFL. I would expect Wisconsin to be more like they would get a Keontes Lewis who is young and could find a role, but also will be here for multiple years to make an impact. The fact that they went out and got three grad transfer cornerbacks with one year of eligibility makes me excited that they are actually going to attack the portal when they have a big deficiency, because I mean, it was clear going the off season. We said they have no cornerbacks. I don't know if we, I mean, they, they not know, but they lost a lot and the rest of the room was young right. and isn't like the other positions where we could say, oh, those two guys will step up. We had multiple guy le- guys leave in the middle of last season to the transfer portal, who I don't think have found homes yet. Uh, Dante Burton among them. I don't believe he has, has uh, found a, a new home yet. Bad, bad radio for you to have no, to look I'm that checking up. I'm checking and I haven't found it. I'm almost positive he has he not. He has not. So that's, I mean, it is what it is. And then you lose three guys uh, to graduation, not graduation, three, two guys to graduation, another guy to a position change. So you have significant, significant reps there to fill. Like Alexander Smith is the only one that played a bunch of snaps last year. Ricardo Hallman a little bit. Al Ashford came in last year, hurt his arms. So like you didn't have him. Like they're... There's a lot. There was a lot of snaps to replace, and for them to go out and do what they did, attack the portal in the ways that they needed to, and you saw guys jump at the opportunity to play for Jim Leonard. Like yeah. that, they have that certainly in their back pocket. I think it's awesome that they went out and, and filled holes because I think that's what Wisconsin is going to use the transfer portal for. Jim Leonard said, "This is not how we want to build a roster. This is not how we're going to build a roster." But it is useful in this type of situation where you have a large amount of turnover, a bunch of young guys that to, you know, filter in some other older guys to allow them younger guys to grow normally instead of throwing them in like they were forced to throw in Fayon Hicks and Caesar Williams in 2018. Mm-hmm. Like you're allowing them to do it this way instead. Were you a little bit surprised that they actually did it? Because it makes sense no matter how you look at it. And it clearly is going to be a positive move. But were you surprised they actually went and did it? Because the Yantes Lewis thing, I would have understood. They brought in Isaac Townsend last year, and he was going to be a guy that was in the program for a little while. The Yantes Lewis thing would be more Wisconsin brand. I was a little bit surprised that they went and got three transfer cornerbacks that are going to play for one year. Well, I mean, Chess Malusi is a two-year guy. Right. Like they, they, have, they have dabbled in it before, but I think the explosion of the transfer portal, and there just being so many guys in there, and so many guys that had that, 
extra year of eligibility, the super senior year of eligibility, and Justin Clark's super, super senior year of eligibility, where he's like in his seventh year. Aren't there three supers? Super, super, super? Probably. I mean, if you want to call it like, is a fifth year guy a super senior? Or is he just yeah. a red shirt senior? Well, a red, you know. Haven't thought about it. Okay. All right. So then, <laughs> then don't talk about it. Um, then don't bring it up. Uh, but yes, I think it's not overly surprising because I think there's just so many guys there and the COVID year allowing the opportunity for them to go out and get these guys. I don't think it's a huge surprise. And I, I, me personally, I think it has a lot to do with Jim Leonard. I think Jim Leonard is, was very probably proactive in, in, uh, wanting to push for that. And Paul Chris is probably open for it. So, uh, so it is not surprising that a quarterback, the echelon of Caleb Williams, would have gone to Lincoln Riley, who he has already played with. Not to mention the fact that Paul Chris probably didn't meet with him. All right, yeah, probably I, didn't meet with him either. I mean, Caleb Williams said he didn't meet with him. Paul Chris has said he didn't meet with him. I, I believe I mean, he didn't I, meet with I, him. I don't know what we need to. I don't know why we're continuing to even bring it up. Paul Chris didn't meet with him, and Caleb Williams said he didn't meet with him. Okay, but there was reported interest. I didn't mean that that there still is a chance oh, that he did. He there's, pro- no, anybody that says there wasn't interest is full of crap. Yeah. There was interest. That's there, what I meant yes. by... He, Wisconsin was very was interested he, in Caleb Williams. Paul Chris didn't himself meet with him, but there was yes. interest there. There was something there that yes. didn't come out of nothing. Yes. All right, we're going to step away, take a quick break. Final segment coming up next. This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. segment before we get out of here are there any other big things that have stood out from the spring for you because we talked a lot about the defense today now one of the other storylines is the depth at tight end and who could emerge as a guy with a lot of injuries there as well but there are there any other positions or people that have stood out to you from practice no but i like to correct uh, yes but i like to correct myself from before i said uh Southern Illinois, and it was actually, it's actually Illinois State on hmm. September 3rd because people seem to really care about that. Sorry, we'll forgive you. Multiple te- multiple DMs from some uh, some tool um, that's listening. Ebo? So, no. Uh, n- another tool. Uh, but uh, <laughs> either way, but th- that said, um, the tight end spot is an interesting one because you have like all the guys that, I mean, Jake Ferguson's gone. Jack Eschenbach played a bunch isn't pl- taking part this spring. Clay Cundiff showed a little bit last year, isn't taking part this spring. Cam Large, who's a guy I think they have uh, high hopes for, not not taking part this spring. They're, they're down to four healthy tight ends, Hayden Rucci being one of them, more of a pass blocker, same with Cole Dokovich. The one guy that's has stood out is Jack Pugh, a guy who was more of a basketball player in, in high school than he was a football player, didn't play until his final two years. He can jump out, of the, jump out of the gym, and he's starting to, I think, learn more about it. He missed a bunch of time last year too with injury. And he was a true freshman. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah, but like just wasn't available. Didn't, right. wasn't even suited up type of thing. And so him playing the spring, he showed up that that'd be, that's an interesting spot in a, in a spot. Like if the, you aren't confident that those guys are going to be healthy or be able to play, maybe a spot you look at the transfer portal in certainly safety would be a spot where you look. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think they may not be done with the transfer portal and certainly guys, leaving Wisconsin and going elsewhere is a possibility as well after spring if they didn't like what happened this spring. Like, that's another thing we get to watch, which should be always, which is fun. Which then will be, then all the boomers will be like, oh, 
look, he faces one bit of adversity in the spring and he's out of there. Yeah, yeah. Ban the transfer portal. Right. So, I don't know. I, the, the tight end spot is an interesting one um, because there are just so many hurt bodies there and you don't have a, a proven weapon. Yeah. Last year, I liked what I saw of Jalen Franklin. And we didn't see him that much, but that Purdue game, when there was a lot of injuries there, now he didn't catch or they didn't do much with him in the passing game. But when he was tasked as being one of the top guys, now what they did in that game, they would put Cormac Sampson on the end of the line, go six offensive linemen, and then Jalen Franklin. But he did. I, I really liked what I saw I, from him. He totally, yeah, totally, forgot about, totally forgot about Jalen Franklin, who's had a, a solid spring. They are, as opposed to using Cormac Sampson this, this spring, they're using Hayden Rucci and, and Wiley Mullman. Not Hayden Ritchie. Uh, um, Nolan. Nolan Ritchie, yeah. thank you. And Riley Mallman is that extra tight end. Yeah, I like it. And that game was fun because it was one of those games that set up. It's like Wisconsin probably will not be able to pass the ball, but they also could just run down Purdue's throat. And, and they had some banged up guys on the offensive line. And then Paul Chris like, you know what? Screw it. There are six offensive linemen. There's one or two tight ends. We're not, we might have one wide receiver. And then we're running the ball. And they also knew that they had a defense that uh, yes. was going to take it right to uh, a pretty offense that lit up pretty much everybody else except for Wisconsin. Yeah, they were going to shut down AOC to, uh, what, three picks, four picks? David Bell had 30 yards. I'm getting a lot of heat because I, I David Bell tested horribly at the combine, yeah. and now everybody thinks he's not going to do anything in the NFL. I still think third round he's a guy that can contribute it's one of those things it's like you see what he does on the field and catching the ball against everybody and the routes are really good and the hands are great it's like yeah i get it he's not a good athlete in the nfl's caliber but he could play you can play you can play yeah so third round for the packers that's all i'm saying you're gonna take 11 wide receivers they might need it they might need it all right that'll do it for us We'll talk to you next Thursday. More spring practice coming up. And the feel of practice. We're talking more Bobby Ingram, Paul Christ next Thursday. See ya. Kenny and Heilprin. Thursdays from 6 to 7. And on demand at MadCitySportsZone.com.